are listening to True Crime Twins, a true crime podcast hosted by Chloe and Melina Cantor. True Crime Twins is distributed by Glassbox Media and is part of the Crawlspace Media family. Welcome back to True Crime Twins, where we use our academic and occupational backgrounds in criminology and medicine to bring you crime stories each week. Thank you for joining us again. I'm Chloe. And I'm Melina. Today, we are bringing you part two of our coverage on the disappearance and murder of three-year-old Kaylee Anthony of Orlando, Florida, and the recently released Peacock documentary covering Casey Anthony, who was acquitted of her daughter Kaylee's murder and her journey, and basically presents her side of the story about 10 years later. In part one, we broke down the disappearance in search for Kaylee and the court proceedings. We also began our discussion on the documentary. The hook, so to speak, to this documentary was Casey saying, I lied, but nobody asked why. As if it was society's responsibility to figure that out instead of her responsibility to tell us what really happened. And the documentary heavily discusses just the phenomenon itself of pathological lying and what Casey says is I'm a convicted liar no lie was out of bounds no lie was off limits she talked about how her daughter Kaylee was conceived because Casey was raped at a party she didn't know who the father was and started lying and telling people that it was her then boyfriend which a paternity test ended up disproving. Trauma can change the wiring of your brain, how you perceive information, how you process it, and subsequently how you behave. Casey's overlying message was that because of all of the trauma that she endured in her childhood, first from the sexual abuse perpetrated allegedly by her father, and then later on sexual abuse allegedly perpetrated by her older brother, Lee. Melina, I was wondering, in your research into this case, outside of Casey Anthony's own words, has anything backed up the fact that she was abused? Not that all abuse victims need insurmountable evidence to be believed, but I am curious, based on her habitual lying, if there is anything to back this up outside of her own words. This is technically still her own words, but she did apparently disclose to two boyfriends, including the one that she had at the time of Kaylee's death, Tony Lazaro. They both said that she confided in them about Lee touching her, but that she hadn't mentioned her father. But it can be deduced that maybe she was testing the waters and starting with like the less bad one before she felt comfortable talking about the really bad one. Why do you say less bad? Casey says that George actually raped her as an eight-year-old girl. I think that what Casey implies that Lee did was more like touching and she was older. She says that he did not actually rape her. So maybe the combination of the circumstances being less aggravated in the case of the abuse allegedly perpetrated by the brother and the fact that she was older in age, so maybe 
was in a more advanced place in her cognitive development to be able to retain those memories because I believe what her stance is on what had happened with her father was that she really didn't fully recall what had happened until she started sorting through it with her lawyer, Jose Baez. She did mention that when she was in prison that she started to feel like maybe I have, maybe he did abuse me. It's possible that like her subconscious would come out sometimes and maybe once she was able to verbalize and accept one form of abuse that maybe her brain could even consider opening up for the second kind. When I see pathological lying, I often will associate that with a personality disorder or personality issue where someone's behavior is characterized by manipulation and stopping at nothing to get what they want. But in some cases, pathological lying can be a result of trauma in one's childhood. If you're forced to lie to survive and to be safe, that can change the way that you approach pretty much everything. If your needs aren't being met, or worse yet, if you're being actively harmed, lying can be a coping mechanism and it can keep you safe and it can also help you live day to day and go about your daily activities with a smile while lying to yourself about what has happened. When things that are absolutely painful and unacceptable are happening in your life, sometimes that's the only option to survive. Three-year-old Kaylee Anthony's cause of death was not able to be determined. She had decomposed to the point that when she was discovered, her body was skeletal remains. They did, however, find a piece of duct tape with a sticker on it stuck to Kaylee Anthony's lower jaw. This was interpreted by many to be evidence that there was tape put over her mouth when she was alive or in the commission of her murder. While the cause of death could never be determined because her remains were discarded in the woods, it was clear that the manner of death was homicide. It was clear to the autopsy performer, Dr. G, that it was a homicide. She said it was a homicide of undetermined means and based that off of the fact that the child was found discarded and had not been reported missing for over a month. There was no evidence of anything besides that. She was found in, I believe, two garbage bags and the duct tape was around her head hair and was apparently keeping her mandible or her jaw intact. But Baez did bring up some reasonable doubt about this, particularly because the person who ended up finding the bones had found the bones a few other times and like tried to report it but couldn't. Baez was implying that this guy like, had tampered with the remains and he like waited until the best possible moment to get the maximum reward money. So what people are saying basically that somebody could have tampered with the skeleton or that the tape moved from the outside of the garbage bag onto her face. There's a lot of different things that people say, but there was no DNA or fingerprints found on the tape. You said that he had seen the bones for several days at that spot and had tried to report it without success. What did he do to try to report it? First, there was a story about like a rattlesnake being there. So then the cops, they kind of did like a lookout and was like, there's nothing there. 
And then there was another story where somebody told him to call the tip line and then something just got like lost in the channels. Like people were telling him to take it to the next person and then just got lost in translation. But then finally he said on that December day, he like got a stick poked at the skull and like lifted it up, like probably through one of the eyes, like one of the holes in the skull and then realized what it was for sure and then called the police and said, I know this is a skull and it's probably Kaylee. So besides him using the stick to move things around, which, you know, it sounds like he was trying not to touch things with some idea of evidence preservation in his mind. What evidence is there besides that that he tampered with the remains? None. It's all reasonable doubt. It's because he has a really crappy reputation. I don't even remember his name, and I guess it doesn't really even matter. Apparently, he was like a piece of crap. So he could have done something really manipulative and fraudulent to get the most money or something. Or maybe he even did it. Good job, Jose. It's a bit unpleasant to discuss, but I think it's important for the sake of this discussion. If tape was put on Kaylee's mouth before she had decomposed, it was covering her skin, her flesh. What happens during decomposition that makes the skin deteriorate to the point where it's just a skeleton? And would tape remain adhered to your bones if it was previously on skin, which had then decomposed beneath the tape? That's a lot of questions to answer, but I'm going to do my best. I think that the tape was still on her head because it was stuck to her head hair that was still on her head. If it was just on her face, the decomposition of the skin and the flesh probably would have made it not stick anymore. But I think it was around her head because of the hair. But the decomposition process in general, the body breaks down starting by using its own bacteria. And then there are other circumstances like environmental factors, including heat, humidity, even water, which it's highly likely that Kaylee's body was submerged in like swampy warm water for extended periods of time that would accelerate this process as well as animal activity. So maggots, they eat at any type of tissue remaining. All that was remaining were slight fat streaks on the bones. There wasn't any joints, soft tissue, anything like that. It was all gone. No muscle, nothing. The presence of the duct tape led prosecutors to assume that Kaylee had died by suffocation because there were no lungs or, if I understand correctly, any organs left to examine, they obviously couldn't definitively confirm that, but they supplemented that information with evidence that Kaylee, that Casey had apparently inquired, at the very least inquired, about the use of chloroform. They had also talked about how Casey had been known to give Kaylee Xanax or Benadryl to induce a sleepy state in her so that she could go about her day-to-day activities without interruption, that interruption being her own parenting responsibilities. They used a combination of the really strange circumstances, like her partying and stuff while her daughter was missing, as a pretty decent theory of motive, because it makes sense to me. Like, she robbed herself of a fun young adulthood, so... She wanted to be with her boyfriend and not have any responsibilities. So that motive makes sense to me. They couldn't say how she died. They guessed. They said that it was a combination of chloroform poisoning and duct tape to suffocate her nose and mouth. 
But that's literally just because of the evidence they found. They found evidence of chloroform in the trunk of the car mixed with the other chemical evidence of the putrefying smell. They found all kinds of stuff in there. It didn't mean that she died of chloroform poisoning. And also she had no drugs in her system, even though there was only bones to test. You can still use like a femur to test for drugs and her hair. Her hair was there. So they didn't find that. And also it's possible that the duct tape could have been over her mouth, but not her nose. It didn't really say that it was definitely over both cavities in the autopsy. The prosecution implied that chloroform was administered. And for those who don't know, typically it's put on a cloth or a rag and placed over someone's nose or mouth or both. And then afterward, and then Casey put tape over that cloth or a rag to keep it in place. How does one obtain chloroform? I don't know. I think that you make it. That's why the prosecution made such a big deal about the fact that there was something found on Casey's search history it was like a meme. It was like the early days of people making memes. And it said, win her over with chloroform. Like, it was just like a bad joke. Like, that I think was on somebody's MySpace that she was friends with. So they had found evidence that she had visited a MySpace page that included a meme with a pretty distasteful rape culture joke saying, win her over with chloroform, implying sedate her and then you can have your way with her. I wouldn't really equate that with an internet search. Were there internet searches? Because that's what I've heard and heard many times throughout the course of that trial. I think that their internet evidence, like their internet search history evidence was completely flawed. And I think that that came out after the trial, actually. And now a quick word from our sponsors. Thanks for listening to our sponsors. Now back to the show. So Cindy Anthony, Casey's mother and Kaylee's grandmother, took responsibility for this Google search that said how to make chloroform. What was her explanation for looking it up? Sheer curiosity? She said that she meant to search for chlorophyll, like what makes plants green, (laughs) and said that she must have accidentally searched for chloroform. Cindy just kept making these weird excuses that makes me question how she could have ever passed the NCLEX. I'm a little bit embarrassed right now because sometimes when I explain the origin of my first name, Chloe, I explain that the name means green or green shoot. And a way to remember that is the root of the name, like C-H-L-O, is like chlorophyll. But very recently, I accidentally said chloroform instead of chlorophyll. And I immediately caught it and was very embarrassed. But I don't think I'm stupid and incapable of passing the NCLEX. I think people can make mistakes. You just said that you are not incapable of passing the NCLEX. The NCLEX is how you get registered as a nurse. You think you could pass that? If I went to nursing school like Cindy Anthony. I'm surprised that she even passed nursing school is what I'm saying. Because there's basic knowledge of prefixes and suffixes and chemicals and medications and all kinds of stuff. She didn't even notice that her daughter was pregnant. They're just just a small example about things that I would have thought a nurse may have been able to differentiate. Also, the search was how to make chloroform. It wasn't how does chloroform make plants green or how does chloroform work. It was how to make chloroform. I think she was just trying to fall on the sword for her daughter. I think that for some reason she had some kind of change of heart, but it's probably what she would do with George all the time in in their lives. 
first she would try to hold him accountable for something and then she would soften and be like, okay, I'm going to fix everything. Wasn't there also a search foolproof suffocation that was on the Anthony family computer on the day that Kaylee disappeared? Yes, there was. And nobody can really explain that. I think that Baez tried to explain it by saying that there was also searches for like Taekwondo moves and like self-defense. Like, I think that they were trying to say that if Casey did search for that, that she wanted to learn that in case she needed to defend herself or something like that. I don't know. If you need to defend yourself, why would you look up how to suffocate someone in a foolproof manner? If you're defending yourself, you're just trying to incapacitate them to the point where you can escape. You're not trying to kill them without fail. I didn't say it made any sense. I was just explaining how he sort of tried to explain it. Some other forensic evidence that was challenged by the defense were the results that there was human decomposition in the air of Casey Anthony's car. There was also hairs collected in the trunk of that car that belonged to Kaylee Anthony that had a bulb to it. So the part where there's DNA or skin at the root of the hair follicle, they said it was black, which they suggested meant that she had died and her body had begun decomposing in the trunk of that car. How did the defense refute the evidence that there was decomposition in the trunk of the car and the root banding on the hairs of Kaylee found in the car? Baez explained it like junk science. It's exactly the same way people could discredit a search dog or a canine in court being like, they're a dog. Like, how do you know that's what they can really smell? Like, it's not a real science because it's all based off of smell. People are like, that's the smell because I have smelled it before and that's the smell. That's basically all they had. That's not enough evidence. And with the root banding, I don't know how he tried to explain that away, but I think that he also implied that it was junk science and not actually a real sign that that belonged on a dead person's head. A lot of wrongful convictions are formed because of junk forensic science and silly things. Like there are a lot of methods that are no longer used because they have been unfounded, such as bite mark analysis such as during the Ted Bundy trial, I'm pretty sure that's what ultimately got him convicted was a bite mark that he had left on one of the victims that an expert later said definitively matched to him. Now they wouldn't do that. And I'm not saying that Ted Bundy wasn't guilty because in my opinion, he very clearly was. But that form of forensic science has since been considered illegitimate. It's just not reliable. You can compare a bite mark to dental records, but you can't make a definitive identification just based on a bruise or cut on someone's skin from teeth. I think it can show that the teeth could be consistent with whoever the defendant is, such as if it's clear that the teeth are crooked or that the bite is an overbite or an underbite, but it's not something that on its own could or should convict somebody. There are a few junk sciences that are still actively taught. 911 analysis. There was this law enforcement expert who taught classes on how you can solve a murder based on just listening to the 911 caller. For instance, if they get distracted easily, if they don't address the person by their first name. And this is something that we had talked about a lot in our first episode where we talked about the murder of Faith Hedgepeth, a lot of people thought that the roommate who discovered Faith's body could be involved. They thought the 911 call was very suspicious because they never 
identified Faith by name. And they kept saying, you know, she's unconscious, she's unconscious, instead of saying that she's dead, which was obvious. And I could hear some law enforcement correspondents literally saying, oh, she's unconscious? Bullshit. But you can't underestimate the pressure that somebody in that position is under and what they may or may not be willing to accept in that moment. So 911 caller analysis has also been kind of considered a junk science. Baez took advantage of the fact that the prosecution just had a lot of shocking theories, basically, and not enough concrete evidence. Basically, people can be like, yeah, there's definitely something wrong here, but they can't say exactly what happened. And that's what got her acquitted. But her life would never be the same again. What is she doing now? This was something I thought was really weird when I watched this. And I think it probably shocked other people, too. The fact that for the last 10 years that Casey's been working as a research assistant for one of the members of her defense team and has basically joined his family and participates in Christmas celebrations. He's basically just adopted her into his circle and was praising her for being very organized and diligent and pointing out things that he wouldn't have noticed and that she's good to work with and dependable. What did you make of all of that? I'm not saying that Casey Anthony is like beautiful or hot or anything like that, but I do think that to just any person that's attracted to women that they might find her mildly attractive. I think that people who are considered mildly attractive can get away with a lot of things and are more likely to sort of make a connection like that. Maybe he genuinely thinks that she is innocent and he genuinely believes her. But would he have believed her if she wasn't mildly attractive? Unless he's crazy or stupid, he must genuinely believe her innocence to expose his entire family and friends to this person, which is good. You know, if you are hiring a defense team, you would sincerely hope that they genuinely believed in your innocence while they're fighting for you. I just don't think that's always the case. I think if you're a lawyer and you're hired to defend somebody, you are going to do whatever you can to establish reasonable doubt and to protect their constitutional rights at all costs. But it seems like in this case that he genuinely thinks that Casey was railroaded. As a quick sidebar, some other forms of forensic evidence that have since been determined to be junk science include hair analysis. And this was something that I had learned when I took a high school forensics class. You know, we'd look at hair under a microscope and talk about the qualities of the different layers of the hair, determine if it had been dyed. But you can't, without that follicle with skin and DNA on it, you can't definitively identify someone just based on a hair. Another interesting element to this case was the widespread steadfast protesting against Casey Anthony before and during the trial. These people were relentless. They protested outside of her house. They protested outside of the courtrooms. When Casey was found not guilty, these furious people, I honestly would equate it to an angry mob, they literally started chanting, Kaylee, Kaylee, Kaylee. And I had never seen anything quite like that until the disappearance of Gabby Petito and the protests that came from that. Is this a Florida thing? Maybe, but I also know that tons of people flew to Orlando to get like front row seats to this thing. It wasn't all Floridians. 
to all of our Florida listeners, I'm not trying to be a hater at all. It's just two cases where I've noticed this extreme phenomenon. And you're right. People did fly all the way there. I had heard in this case that people were falling asleep in the courtroom because they had stayed up to wait in line. And that if that happened, they were promptly tapped out and asked to leave so that the next person in line could get their show. What did you make of this mob mentality at this time? To be honest with you, I wanted to be there too. I hate to say it. I did. When it was going on, I was still in high school, but I was very much into the case. And I was disgusted because based off of the things I was reading in People magazine and basically everywhere online, this woman slaughtered her child and just drove around with her rotting body in her car for days. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's gruesome. It literally made me feel sick. I was obsessed with it because of the outrage. And I think that's what everybody else was feeling, too. They're like, who is this demonic person? But obviously, so much of it is skewed in the media as well. It's outrage in media that inflames it. Tell me this. Do you still feel that way after watching The Truth Lies? Do you think that Casey Anthony is a murderer and a monster? I think she's something. I can't say for sure if she is a murderer or a monster. But here's what I do think that she is. I think I can't trust a word she says. I think that she lost her credibility forever. I don't really trust anything anybody says, but especially her. I think there's no way that I would ever believe anything she says at this point. I don't like her attitude. I think she thinks she's better than everyone else and smarter than everyone else. And I think she is mildly smart, just like she's mildly pretty. But that doesn't make you special. I still think that you're a lying freak. I still think that you can't explain how the person you're responsible for died. What the hell's the matter with you? Now you're just acting like everything's fine? I don't get it, whatever.